Human beings have neither the oral nor the psychological capacity to withstand the awesome power of God's true voice. Theology unplugged. Hermeneutics. Herman who? The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Theology unplugged. I mean, uh, if God is omniscient, if he knows everything, and he wouldn't be God if he didn't, then he must have known, even before the creation of the world, the names of those who will be saved. Theology unplugged. Only let my errors be proven by scripture. Theology unplugged. Would you guys agree that Christianity is defined so much and it's how we act, but we do have some definite theological markers. Theology unplugged. All right, so let's go. Wow, man. Let's go. Do it. Lego. Who, who wants to start? Three, two, one. Should we open up? Theology uh, with, unplugged. Uh, with uh, liturgy, prayer, um, or just goofiness? None of that. Let's None go straight into the topic. Finally, after at long last, we're going to wrap up our series on apologetic methods with fideism. Uh, so we have two podcast episodes coming your way. This is the first of two on fideism. Uh, thank you. Turning my phone off. Good job, Michael. Uh, Clint, Michael, hello. Mm -hmm. Hey. All right. Um, so yeah, um, let's kind of let's let's go over so what we've already covered, real quick. Well, we've the been going over different methods of apologetics, and, and these are really the basic ways in which you you sometimes see these traditionally categorized of people's approach to apologetics. Everybody wants to defend the faith, and everybody that we're talking about here believes the faith. And so this is not saying, uh, you know, here, here's the right way, and here's the wrong way, and here's the, here's the one that Christians use, and here's the one that non-Christians use. This is the way that Christians across the last 2,000 years have approached the faith. And even throughout biblical times, you can see different elements of each one of these. But we've covered, um, uh, what do we start with? Presuppositionalism, yeah, and then evidentialism, uh, and then classical apologetics. Those okay. were, that was the trajectory. One, right. one sentence: presuppositionalism. What's a good one for that? One sentence, Clint. Uh, well, okay. First of all, can I say one thing? No, one sentence. <laughs> okay. Well, <clears throat> if you could say it in one I, sentence, can yes. I sing it? Okay, please. <clears throat> I. <clears throat> Thought she okay. said no liturgy. Oh right. Okay. So. Uh, the presuppositional approach for anybody and everybody who listened or who wishes to, here's what it is. It is the superior approach that used by good. I was Christians. just waiting for Michael to go ahead and preface it because I, you know, he seems to have an affinity, which is why, he, which is why he sort of like rushed it into the front court mm -hmm. and had us lead with it. And for all I know, he'll end with it too. Sort yeah. of like bookend everything with the two with, with that one, but the presuppositional approach. Um, is uh, we also called it reformed, yeah. Fair or not, we called it that because it often is sort of doubles as that. So it comes from a specific theological point of view, yeah. In which it is assumed that people already uh, have the basic preconditions for understanding uh, the truth of Christianity. Therefore, you don't really pile up evidences for people necessarily, and you also don't uh, play their emotions. But really, what you do is you show them. Uh, that they already, I, I, maybe I shouldn't put it this way, but I will anyway. They already believe. 
I say you don't put it that way because that just makes people mad. Yeah. Uh, they say, it sounds presumptuous, you know. Don't tell me what I believe. But I think the point isn't that they consciously believe it. This is a long sentence. The point is, it's a run-on. Hey, have you read it's Ephesians a, a in the Greek? It's this a, is the beginning of Ephesians. I was thinking of Cormac McCarthy, McCarthy with no, no punctuation. We already believe in God. Yeah, sentence. right. This is stream of consciousness. Actually, it's not. But is that good enough for you? Yeah, yes. that, that's good. Now, evidentialism, Michael? Um, we approach the faith and we look at the evidences and build it from the ground up. Uh, the presuppositional approach is kind of a deductive approach. The evidential <laughs> approach is an inductive approach to where we, we say, okay, we will believe in God based upon the evidences that he has provided through nature and history and through the sciences. And so that is ultimately compelling to our faith and should be used to continually build our faith. And then classical apologetics would be uh, uh, more or less the approach through mere reason. Uh, I don't know if I'd say mere, but it uh, emphasizes reason. reason. Emphasize reasoned, Classical rational arguments, we talked about cosmological and reasoned argumentation. Ontological. But there's still, it's not, yeah, it's not merely rational arguments because it, but it's still ultimately rational arguments that are even appeal to the evidence or would appeal to people's presuppositions. Mm -hmm. But it's still kind of an emphasis on rational argumentation. And it's also a deductive approach. And it would be deductive. Um, mostly, yes. And so now we come to theism, theism, theism. Okay, first let's establish the, how we want fide, to pronounce fideism. this. Fideism. I'm be consistent. It, I'm going to call Lord. it fideism. Fideism. I'm going to call it fideism. You know what? You just add an L in there. No, it's, you it's you just speak like, like you spell, brother. <laughs> you say <laughs> tomato, <laughs> I say tomato. No, let's say call the fideism. whole fideism. thing. Um, um, it, it is let's spell spelled. it. F-I-D-E-I-S-M. Ding! Oh, no, wait. No, ding is when you get it wrong. My bad. Ding, ding. No, what, what is it when they get it right? Well, anyway. Well done. The ding means you got it wrong, right? In the spelling bee? Anyway, you're right. So the, the key... Are we doing two podcasts on this one? Yes. Yeah, man. Okay, the, so the first, key, uh, what are we doing here? Are we defending we, it? Yeah, let's talk, well, we, we need to say what it is. It. We, we need to say what it is. It. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the key, but and I think we do that well by uh, reminding people what that key, what that word is. Fide. Okay. What is it? Faith. Faith. So the emphasis is on faith. Faith is. Should we make the distinction between fide as it's used here and fide as a lot of Christians will recognize it in being used fide. in theological language like salvation and soteriology, so on? I, I think. So. What's the difference? But, well, because at least, well, in terms of the system of fideism, that's a lot different from say, sola fide, what we understand that just, I mean, in, in principle and doctrine alone, the doctrine of sola fide and the reform definition and understanding of what faith is, from the little I truly know of fideism, it, they seem incompatible uh, with the Whoa. historic... Wow. Well, that's a difference. That's an interesting topic. That's next yeah, episode. Yeah, let's save that idea, though. <laughs> okay. uh, save that thought. That's, um, that's a fascinating yeah. concept. Well, I guess, you know, in a way we could call uh, fideism what that we're going to talk about. We could call it the sola fide of apologetics, as opposed to the sola fide of concerning your Reformation doctrine thought. of salvation okay. by faith alone. Mm -hmm. Here, we're in a sense, you're saying defend your beliefs essentially by appeal to faith alone, yeah. uh, as it were. I mean, that's and, and, and it, and it comes from... to a definition of faith that I think is is what we have to 
kind of grab a hold of and try to figure out what what is trying to be said here because so many misconceptions can arise by this we can start by saying well it's faithism which basically means this if i was to put a definition on what is fideism as far as an apologetic method i would say it is an approach to apologetics where you don't really have to defend the faith from the standpoint of you know providing evidences and and trying to think rationally and as a matter of fact that might cancel out the faith because faith itself is something that is believed in spite of or contrary to or uh, uh, just uh, as we said by faith alone it, it's it's something that is a blind leap into the dark. The blinder the leap, the the greater the faith. And so it takes this concept of faith, it defines it a certain way, and then it applies it to apologetics, which is, which I think is something we have to will critique, but also something we have to kind of understand where it came from and why why it's here. And can we say that there are those? Well, how about how about our initial um, uh, two categories, if you will. One category, um, those who believe this and live by this um, by default, without thinking about it, not because they not because they examine and study these different approaches to apologetics and chose this one. Mm-hmm. They just don't know it. That's all they've ever known. Uh, they can't imagine another way. And then and then maybe we should make sure we get that up front. And then and then move to people, the expressions of it that are principled expressions. In other words, people who really know. The differences and choose fideism and, and argue that it's the best and yeah, right way. Yeah, yeah. So first, let's talk about people and and I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I I would tend to think this is the great majority of church going people. Yeah, today. and I think that's good. I think it's a valuable thing to start with today and maybe work ourselves backward in that sense of where did it come from and a great great thing to say about distinguishing it from those who actually can defend it for a particular mm-hmm. reason. But it is it's the default way in which we are, at least in an evangelical America, I would presume that as I look across Christianity right now all over the world, it is, it is the adopted position and it is uh, something that people, uh, probably you have come across many times, uh, being uh, so uh, focused on apologetics and philosophy, people probably come to you and say, listen, why are you always trying to defend the faith? Why don't you just believe you know, have you ever heard anybody say that? Of course, and, and and like I said, most sincere Christians who want to do the best they can, they go into their school and workplace. They, you know, they encounter people who give them challenges, push back on them, uh, ask them hard questions, or even you know, like make fun of them or something. And they're the just because they don't have any other resources, it becomes an internalized personal response that essentially boils down to well you're not going to shake me i you know i will i believe and i and i'm not going to i'm not going to let you push me off and 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 if they're even aggressive with in this sense they'll push back to the other person you should believe yeah. believe believe but but they they really won't bother to enter into specifics about this you know, yeah. won't even necessarily try to answer the questions and I hear this a lot. Uh, you'll hear testimonies of people in churches. Like, well, my coworker, you know, he's a neo-Buddhist something, something, you know, whatever the guy may be. Yeah. He told me the other day, you know, that I'm just believing in fairy tales because it's a crutch or so on and so on. And what will they always say as part of their, as part of their witness to this? I told him, you know, brother, 
you just really need you need to search your heart and God will show you. Mm. In other words, now why do they say that? Because they read an apologetics book and decided, you know what? That I think is the best way. No. In fact, it's the opposite. It's because they've never even considered the possibility that they could talk about those things with them. Yeah. And and it and it's your last refuge. And in fact, that's why that's why other people who have what I would consider to be pretty weak belief systems, all they do is this. I lived among the Mormons, as I've mentioned before, for a long time, years among the Mormons. Well, guess what? They're apologetic fideism. Hmm. Because frankly, what else have they got? Yeah. And so it and so for a lot of evangelicals, it's the same thing. It's like, I never learned anything else. I don't know anything else. All I can say is, uh, you should believe. Yeah. Or um, it changed my life, it'll change yours. Um, or appeal to a feeling. Can't you close your eyes and just, you know, just close your eyes with me? Yeah. Do, do, do you sense God? In other words, you've got to, you've got to try to get them to, you've got to cultivate a sense in them of uh, God's here, uh, trust Him. Um, anyway, th that's my best well, it's an way of characterizing that it, general It's an emotional commitment, not an intellectual commitment. And the emotional commitment trumps... And maybe even you know looks down upon any type of intellectual commitment. Um, it, it, I I've had people you know many times where they'll either give testimonies or I've heard it myself where people would come up and ask a very good sincere question. There was a guy at church not very long ago who came up to me and was just distraught about his faith and had uh, many questions and he had many questions that he had talked to many Christians about and there were basic questions there wasn't anything. Like, uh, you know, that was just too hard or we shouldn't be able to answer in some way. But uh, this particular one, I believe, had to do with the problem of evil and the difficulties and, you know, just suffering in the world. And um, he said that he, he had gone to his previous pastor and uh, previous church leadership. And they just said, you, you've just got to take it by faith. You know, you've just got to believe by faith. No matter what, what it all comes down to is just faith. You don't need answers. You need faith. And, and then I had another guy who was, who was more schooled in apologetics and loved apologetics. And I think this is evident even in some of our thinking sometimes, which I'd be curious to know what you think about this. But um, you, we, we have this idea that, okay, maybe let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, we can have a, a degree of certainty. You know, God is, has shown himself through creation. He has shown himself through the evidences that he has provided, uh, through through the scriptures and through history and, you know, evidentialism and, and uh, all kinds of different places that we go to for um, our apologetics. And then he said, okay, that can get you maybe to a seven or an eight uh, on a scale of one to 10. Your faith is at a seven. How do you get to a 10? And he said, he said, that's where faith comes in. <laughs> and uh -huh. I thought, oh man, you're still missing it. Yeah. I mean, you're thinking that, you know, you, number one, you're thinking you have to be a 10 as far as certainty. And number two, you're thinking the first seven is not faith. Uh, but that's a part of the critique. Uh, what, but what I want people to understand, like you said, is that this permeates not only um, just basic Christianity today, not only evangelical Christianity today, but also even in people that are more schooled in apologetics to where they finally punt it's the last thing we punt to and we say, well, you can have all these assurances and those are good, but ultimately what it's going to come down to is faith. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. You're still saying 
fideism. And we'll talk about a critique of it, but that's what we've got to understand is that it, you're right. It is just, it's everywhere. This is, this is, right. this is where we live. Well, I, now the thing is though, too, I think again, that gets into understanding what faith is in one context and understanding what it is in another. And so, for example, and maybe this isn't something we I should even cover now, but something that comes to mind is that uh, when there are, you know, things that we don't understand uh, about circumstance, for example, I think of that often uh, with all the, the, the things that um, I have to endure in my own life. And um, there is that level of trust, so, and that level of faith, and that is when you do just have to have faith, so to speak. But I don't think it's some sort of empty, blind um, faith that's devoid of reason. And I think that it, it's connected to um, these all these things that you actually do know about God to where you can have faith in those things where you want, you are uncertain. So I don't know if that could rightly be defined as faith, uh, as fideism, when what it is is you're investing trust in God. But but no, no, what but you're doing, you're, you're trusting in something like you said that that you you have reason. But there, to yeah, trust because there, there's warrant. That he, it's not he as if we're lacking. Him, he's proven himself to be trustworthy. That's right. That's so right. that's different from well, you just got to have faith, kind of thing. But but whenever we look at apologetics and whenever we look at the evidences and we believe based upon those evidences, the other side, the evidentialist and the uh, presuppositionalists and classical apologists mm-hmm. would all say that is what faith is, and they wouldn't say it's the last part that is the right. faith. They would say it's it's that yeah, like like the very last. Well, well, again, that's getting into defining, which is what we're going to have mm-hmm. to do in the next episode of what actually what we're talking about when we say faith. I guess. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, I mean, we should just uh, there's we should admit there's more than one sense that people use the word, yeah. and we should be clear what we mean and. Kind of to your point. I mean, we've said before that little line of C.S. Lewis. I like it. He says, uh, "Faith is the art of holding to things that your reason has accepted at one point, but in spite of your changing moods, yeah, because you'll wake up one day, and and you're and the guy the guy at church, you know, he's he's like a lot of people. Um, he has he has decided that, um, hey, I want a little more certainty. The problem is he mistakenly assumed that means a ten, as you said, yeah." But but no one worth anything should be running around telling people that you better have a 10 or you're going to just leave everybody in shambles and distraught. I'm not a 10 about history. I'm not a 10 about any of the sciences. I think I'm only a 10 about a few necessary truths because I don't have a choice. They're necessary. Yeah, they're properly basic. Truths, but yeah. see, that's not how epistemology works. Right. And that's not how truth works to have... To, to have true knowledge of something right. doesn't necessitate certainty. That's not yeah. uh, that's not a fundamental and of component course, of knowledge. So far in talking about this, and and I agree with you that that there is a problematic element to the I don't know the um, the sort of unthinking punt approach that a lot we do in church. And remember how we said it more than once that apologetics a lot of times. What it does is more for believers than for unbelievers. Well, think about that principle in this context of blanket, unthinking fideism that we often encounter. What does it do, not only in terms of uh, people's effectiveness and trying to talk to other people, but just to Christians themselves? They end up not realizing that even all of their internal questions um, can actually have some pretty good responses to them. They don't know because 
it's never discussed. And if they ask, if they get bold enough to confront somebody on a staff member like a pastor and, and say, or... hey, you know, uh, and they sheepishly admit, I've had this question. Sometimes they're just told, brother, you don't have faith. And, you know, I am like you, because people kind of know what I do and everything in the past, I'll get hit with a lot of questions. Uh, people, and, and one thing I'll find often, Christian people now, is they'll say, they'll almost, it's almost like in secret, like they send me an email, like, Psh, don't tell anybody, but I've always had these five questions, you know? <laughs> don't tell anybody I'm asking. You know, like, like this is all under the table. Well, this should be out in the open, yeah. in a church context, but now all of this is really not our main discussion. It's just... It, and, These are and kind a, of peripherals because the main discussion is fideism. It's and, causing us to make and, fideism and, as a whole seem bad. Right. So, <laughs> well, I mean, but but we, we were kind of given a, examples of fideism in action without truly defining what it is. How would we... Well, I think he, Michael did that oh, somewhat okay, in the beginning. Okay, okay. Well, let me get some verses that are, are very... I mean, it, we got to deal with whenever we're talking about fideism and saying, mm -hmm. is fideism right? Because it does seem like there are a couple verses in the scripture, especially in the New Testament, that explicitly say that's the way we are to approach faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, it says, uh, now faith, and this is the definition of faith, right? Faith is the confidence that uh, what we hope for will actually happen. Now listen to this, another way that is seen in the uh, King James. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so people say, look at this. Here's the definition. It has to do with things not seen. What does that mean? Well, we go back to Thomas and we say, well, Thomas was this guy who was who was the evidentialist. He needed evidences. He wanted to put his fingers in Jesus's wounds and thrust his hand in his side. And that's the time he, but that, that was okay. You know, that was an inferior type. Right. But here's the real thing is whenever Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen, don't, or in other words, here's the interpretation, don't require evidences, yet believe anyway. Don't be doubting Thomas. So so right there, it's like, man, yeah. you could preach a sermon on that and become a fideus, uh, at least. But that, that I would have to say, that's reading your own interpretation into the text, and especially even that Hebrews passage, because I think that that's... But any, we'll talk about that in the next episode. Of We're why, always jumping to critique why this one. Of course. <laughs> we liked That's all the I'm others. Well, I'm afraid well, that so far... Can anybody all tell where we're at? So <laughs> far, all we've done is just pretty much take a big... Yeah, uh, like, you know, <laughs> just throw this in the water. We've got two episodes. I know what you're you know, saying. I mean... We've, we've done everything short of parody this by just playing George Michael. We got to have faith, the faith, the faith, the. So, yeah. but can, can we, for a moment here, talk about some of the uh, respectable, okay, people? Uh, well, actually, yeah, let's not like, even talk biography. When, when did it start? How well, about that? When did this type of apologetic okay, but again, approach okay, to Christianity So start? some will say, well, hey, it starts with Paul, brother. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it starts with Jesus. And then the but let's let's Hebrews. let's go post biblical right. stuff because that's a that's a hermeneutical debate about you know do, because one of the reasons why a principle today is may defend it and some do is to say straight up it's what the it's how the Bible teaches. All right. Um, but in the early church, of course, you have uh, some uh, a few voices. I mean, one in particular we all know that is often pointed to as the. Um, kind of an archetype of this way of thinking in the pluralistic context of early Christians with persecution and multiple religions along is our main comes our main man mm -hmm. 
Tertullian, mm -hmm. or as one preacher I heard recently, Tertullian. <laughs> but he, in his, uh, what it, how would you pronounce it, Apologeticum or something like that, he writes a line that is oh so famous now. What, yeah. what hath, yeah. There you go one, ahead. Yeah, what hath uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem to do with Athens, yeah. or what hath Athens to do with Jerusalem. Either way. What hath the academy to do with the church? Uh, what hath yeah. studying right. to do with faith? The well, comparison between... Now, in his, to be honest, what is the obviously in his context, that, right? you know, there's Stoicism and Epicureanism and stuff that pollute, polluting kind of coming into the Christian fold, and he's, so uh, I don't, I don't know that it's fair. I've heard Tertullian quoted as saying, in fact, I believe because it's absurd, but a little research reveals that he didn't write that. I don't know, I don't know why that's attributed to him. Mm -hmm. So I'm not thoroughly convinced that that. That he is an is and, a, is an uh, you know a raging fideist it, in this it sense. Was, I mean, and I think it's redundant to say early church father in Platonism, but he was a Platonist, wasn't he? Uh, well, I don't even know if that's fair. I mean, Platonism okay. is of course in the okay. air. I mean, you could accuse okay. Augustine of it if you're going to go that far, just because well, it's, think, it's 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 background. Yeah. Like, like like someone a thousand years from now could could say about us, well, they were they were really Americans, weren't they? Right. I mean, okay. that's kind of inflected their. Well, thinking. I'm not I'm not trying to say in yeah. the pejorative, but I think that they were very aware of Plato, they and they well, embraced element and, and embraced elements of it. And but that's the fact fine. that they could, the fact that they could analyze Platonism and yes. critique it from a Christian As point of view, lets you know that they weren't yeah. they weren't well, just unthinkingly, you know, like holding to it. Right. Uh, that's a debate too. But let's let's say Tertullian was. Let's just. What if we just said he was a total fideist? I don't have a dog in that fight. Um, we, in fact, just for the sake of argument, let's say that because uh, there have been those. Maybe what if what if we would I be fair to list a few categories and we can talk about some of them? Why why have the principle of Phidias held to it? Okay, Michael already mentioned some would say Scripture. just the Bible. It's a, some would say pragmatic reasons. Let's face it, what converts people? Re arguments? Come on now, we know better. So you know the Second Great Awakening guys basically stood up and said, "Why are we wasting our time doing a bunch of philosophical stuff? That doesn't work." Let's we appeal to the heart, and we know that's true. That practically speaking, mm -hmm. there are those who, for for intellectual reasons, like Pascal said, the reason I I the reason I don't use those classical arguments is it's a stalemate, because you know in this corner stands the intellectual Christian with his arguments, in this corner stands the atheist with his arguments, and it's a draw. Nobody wins just on arguments, so uh, we need something better than arguments. That's a reason too, and then I think there's more just the personal. There's that sort of Kierkegaard reason, which is you just honestly don't think that it's faith, and it's almost like uh, faith that you come to and hold to because of any arguments isn't even real. In other words, they take the position that God means to and wants to make this uh, difficult. I don't, maybe that's not the right word. He wants you to have to sort of like really work to trust. If that makes sense, it's sort of like in the Thomas passage you to mentioned. Work to trust at him, and that approach and would that, say I think that, that he wants it to be. He doesn't want that. you to be able to put your hand. He doesn't want you to be at a ten. And I think that it's there's warrant for that in Scripture to where you know we do have to work to trust him through trials. I mean, it's said as much that we're given those things. To test our faith, and though we do not see him, right. you know, we love him. So and, that and makes so, it harder. If you could see him, it'd be a piece of cake. Yeah. So I mean, there's a, there's a truth 
element. Sure. To well, that I mean, li- listen approach. to the, listen to the hymn. You know, it says, "You ask me how I know he lives." <laughs> oh, no. He lives. What, what, here's my bullet You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. That's how I know. Deep down inside, if you want an apologetic, I just know. And if you're going to say, what about church history? We could say, oh my gosh, there are intellectual giants that aren't this way at all. And we love them and we'll, we'll grab a hold of them and we'll embrace them. But frankly, there's just a lot of this. There's a lot of people throughout the the church, the early church, the as we became more and more institutionalized. The medieval church. I was reading about William of Ockham. Yeah. Know, I was trying to find some earlier right. when we were doing the intro, but I was just shocked. To find these these medieval scholastics were, I'm pretty sure that's what he believed. That well, he didn't I mean, even if they didn't themselves, faith in God through reason. they require they that we wanted the people at that time because we were protecting the gospel. We wanted the people at that time just to believe. You know, we'll take care of the intellectual stuff, and you come and we'll tell you what's right. You know, type mm-hmm. thing. Right. And and it grows and grows, but we do have intellectual giants. But I I, I think the turning point in history, at least in American evangelicalism, came with uh, Kant, Immanuel Kant, where he separates this idea of what we can what we can know about uh, what what's real and that which we can only um, uh, have faith in. The noumenal and phenomenal distinction. And, and, uh, of course, we can't have a podcast without Carrie saying those two. I don't know. Why is that? No matter what, what we're covering, we always mention that. I don't... Well, he mentioned Kant. I know. So it wasn't I warranted. I know. It's it's a, come on, no, Harry. No, it's warranted. It's my. It's just funny that it's almost like Michael is in on this. I said, oh, Jeff. Well, I said, Jeff. We texted. Did on you the guys way get here. together before? I said, I'm going make sure to mention Kant. The apologetics. Okay, anyway. <laughs> but listen, listen to Kant. Kant was trying to, in a way, save faith. Sure. And he was trying to say. Hey, in this world we're living in right now, it's becoming over intellectual. Everybody's trying to figure yeah. out how we can through a Cartesian you think Kant method. Was trying to save the faith. Oh yeah, yeah. in he some ways he was. He's, okay. He he think he thinks I'm going to show us a way we can have our cake and eat it I too. I just didn't yeah. even realize he was on our team. Well, listen. Well, he he that, thought he was. He was raised by some real pietists. You okay. Know? Yeah. Well, listen to this. Rene Descartes basically sets up this system where he says we're only going to believe what we can inductively prove and get to the point where we are justified in everything that we believe. And we are only going to be able to do this if we start at ground zero. Now, that was the problem, but it was it was not necessarily something that was that was good or bad you know it was there was there's a great thing to question everything that's what it, uh, he said question everything f- before you believe it and i think that is great advice to us it's all it's good as a method yeah D- doubt's a useful method to keep you honest yeah it's not a good place to arrive at and try to live permanently well and then you get to the point where you're like okay here's the world that is going through the mathematical the scientific the industrial the revolutions that are going on where people are so excited about everything and they're saying my goodness we really can as people intellectually as humans you know the humanism of the day we are pretty we're, we're pretty smart and God has created us in such a way to where we can build our understanding on our own we don't have to rely upon the church we don't have to rely upon just what is handed down to us and our families we can think on our own we can read on our own we can intellectualize on our own and yeah. at this point, we're like, we need to come to a type of certainty, mathematical certainty on everything. And so let's build it from the ground up. Now, what ends up happening is faith itself, the Christian faith and a lot of other things, begin to lose its power because if we're trying to get everything to a 10, you know, let's, 
let's make sure our faith, we can prove it just as much as we can prove two plus two equals four, or that, uh, you know, uh, uh, gravity exists or whatever else it may be. Let's get to that same type of certainty. And then, then I got problems, you know, and we, you talked sure. about this earlier. If you're trying to get to that, you're never going to get there. And so here's what Kant comes in and he says, well, I'm going to take care of the business because everybody's losing faith. They're losing their morals and we, we got to release rescue morality and let, let's separate these things of faith and put the things of faith in the, uh, uh, well, the, he, that was the numeral mm -hmm. and the phenomenal, which we can see, taste, touch, feel, test, know for sure in an intellectual way that's the things of every day you know and, that's and, science and, that's the telescopes and that's, that's sort of <coughs> in the noumenal that's where fideism reigns well that's, that's right kind of the foundation for fideism that sort of realm of it, this ethereal realm that's just sort of we know is there but we can't really say much about it and that's sort of there's things that you can prove here on the earth would be in phenomenal world, right. we can prove it. We can we can test it. We ought to test it. So fideism but is Kant believing said, without proof. Let's separate not the types of things like morals and God and all of that and put it in a different category. And that is where I believe the prominence of fideism uh, uh, gained ground and became well became what it is today and it has the influence that it does on Western culture. So I, I think we are all very Kantian. I can't believe it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Theology Unplugged, let me tell you about some of the other resources we have available. Visit us online at credohouse.org and browse over 2,000 articles on everything from the Crusades to gay marriage. Sign up for email updates and get the latest news, event announcements, and special deals before anyone else. Connect with us on social media. Just search Credo House on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always email us at theologyunplugged at credohouse.org. We want you to be part of the Credo community. Please partner with us in making theology accessible and pushing back the intellectual attack on Christianity. Thank you. <laughs>